Hello and welcome to Cooking Books with me, Julie Smith, the podcast which forages for the bigger issues in the latest food books. This week I'm with Claire Finney, author of The Female Chef. It's a wonderfully multi-layered approach with interviews from so many of Britain's most interesting examples on who women are in the professional kitchen in 2021. She knows how the reservation system works. She knows how the printing works. She knows what the finances do. She does the whole thing. She does the social media. She juggles it all. And holding that entirety is key to these women's success. And it is key to sustainability. You've got to look at the whole. You can't look at the individual parts. That is their strength. It moves the conversation on from the hugely important subject of equality in the workplace to examine so many more notions of femininity and femaleness. I asked Claire how she found the focus on such a huge subject. I didn't want it to be a poison chalice, um, so I spoke to, I spoke a lot with my mum, who's kind of a career woman and a very ardent feminist and um, very much of the smashing the glass ceiling variety of women. And I spoke also to my grandma, who ran a kitchen and hotel, And it was she who said that she never considered herself as a chef. Um, She hired chefs, by which she meant she hired men, and she hired cooks, by which she meant she hired women. And I thought, that's a very uh, explicitly gendered definition of uh, chef and cook. And it tallied with a lot of people's perceptions of what being a chef and being a cook means. And so... The more I dove into it and the more I discussed it with with my mum, with my grandma, the more it seemed that the interest lay and the nuance lay in exploring these definitions, how they came about, how they're shifting. Because I knew that, for example, Ravinda Bogle didn't think of herself as a chef. She thought herself as a cook. And I knew that was true of Asma Khan as well. And I thought what does this mean for the woman? Like, how do they express themselves? How do they identify with what they do? And how are they reflecting the fact that women have been in the kitchen for centuries, millennia? They've just never had professional recognition for it. Um, So in that respect, food is very different to any other profession. You know, architecture, law, banking has been, men were in it, then women came into it. And now we like to not talk about female bankers and female architects. We like to just, you know, talk about architects and bankers. Um, And the same should be true of cooking freshly, but it's not because of the fact that women have been in the kitchen. They have been butchering, they've been filleting fish, they've been baking, but they haven't been butchers, um, you know, fishmongers bakers let's just go for a definition here you know a chef is a person who cooks professionally man or woman and a cook is somebody who cooks i remember nigella talking a lot about it when she first started cooking on television she said i am not a chef Mm. i am a domestic cook and all her books were about that domestication of cookery and that delight in cooking for your friends and your family so you know, the fact that you're talking about the female chef, all of these women, let's be absolutely clear, have professional yes. chefing yes. jobs. have or have had. Yeah. So with that as the sort of the base, you then layer all these elements and these issues around femininity and female nurse on top of that basic professional yes. qualification. And that's where I find it gets really fascinating. Um, you know, you you, you you talk a lot about um, where it all started, you know, Escoffier's brigade. Yeah. Tell me about when you started talking to women about that 
military nature? Um, I mean, the reason why this book demanded that, and I'm glad you, you, you know, that you sensed the kind of the nuance and complexity to it, because the reason that it necessitated that is because everyone was so different and um, came at it from such a different kind of background, from different philosophies, from different cultural um, cultural stances. So Angela Hartnett, military, absolutely, you know, Gordon Ramsay trader, you know, same same with Sky. Sky Gingell. Um to a certain extent as well. The thing is that that approach doesn't really allow... It, it kind of opened the doors for men to be chefs because it kind of made it masculine and it made it tough and steely, whereas... But it also forced women out at the same time because it didn't allow for childcare. It didn't allow for... Um, you know, cooking with love to respond to cooking with instinct. It didn't allow, because it's it's all about kind of measurements and precision. Um, you know, Claudia Roden has this beautiful comment where she talks about um, how you know when the dough is ready because it feels like your earlobe. That is not, that it's not Escoffier. That is very much, <laughs> you know, along but the But it might be Peter line. Gordon. Yes, it might be Peter Gordon. And, yeah. and you do mention him a few times. There are a few chefs who've worked with Peter Gordon. And, you know, it's not to say that men have not been instrumental in transforming kitchen culture. Uh, but it is about the women who have also changed kitchen culture and how. Anna Roche, for example, who, you know, famously was one of the, the 50 best, best female chef, I think in 2017 or something, and, mm. you know, faced a barrage of, of questions. She was trying to celebrate this fantastic award while mm. dealing with all these questions coming from the press about why there should be a best female chef when there isn't a best male chef in the 50 best. I mean, yeah. the 50 best is a questionable set of um, uh, awards anyway. But she was very keen to talk about how her her kitchen is 50-50. It's very much the perfect balance, as she calls it, between mm. men and women. But the way that she talks about her women has that sexual frisson. And I've been in her kitchen and I've seen it. Right, you know, there right. is that kind of cool thing about, <laughs> you know, the women are very feminine. And she talked specifically about the fact that there's a lot of lipstick in the kitchen, which mm. sounds really strange, you know, here. But in Slovenia, they really kind of have a different attitude, even though her chefs are from all over the world. Um, I remember talking to her during lockdown last year, and she was talking about how they were all kind of coming together and playing a lot. And there's always this sexual free song when she's talking about that. You never hear that when people are talking about yeah. the kitchen in Britain. It's kind of asexual isn't it yes completely completely and i loved you will we'll come on to her later in more detail but that's why i loved meeting um for the first time sabrina gidder and then and then interviewing her again that idea that you can be both and this is kind yeah. of was a bit of a lay motif throughout the b book which is women encompassing all parts of themselves and bringing it all to the kitchen and bringing it all to their food sabrina gidder is She's absolutely beautiful, always has perfect makeup. She even wears, like, eyeliner in the kitchen. You're like, how do you, how does that, what brand are you using that is so waterproof that you can <laughs> cook with it? Beautiful, like, you know, beautiful chignon hair, just, like, perfect lippy, the works. And she's as happy in six-inch heels as she is in chef's whites. And she well, brings exactly. all of that. As does Ravinda Bogle. Yes, completely, completely. Yeah. Giacconi is a very 
feminine. Oh, gosh, and you know, I'm aware. I mean, Anna Roche would absolutely, you know, poo-poo this whole idea. Know, She'd say, feminine is feminine. But I'm being careful with my words, you know. But the traditional ideas of femininity are very much in Jaconi, aren't they? It's very sort of textured and very pretty. And Ravinda has done that quite deliberately because she wants to celebrate her... Yeah her diversity for a start you know she's a an indian woman who grew up in kenya um she brings that to the kitchen but she also brings her very feminine nature in a very sort of post-feminist world Mm. and is very aware of it yeah i she the line that i absolutely love um which i don't know whether she i don't know whether it made it into the book or not actually but she said she said to me once since when did feminine become a dirty word and that doesn't mean you know it is in the book uh, it is in the book right right which is which is so it's beautiful because what she's saying there is she isn't she isn't going down the whole like why can't women be women line that's not what she's saying what she's saying is it is just a word and it can be as true as of men you know it could be as true mm. of peter gordon's kitchen Absolutely. and approach as yeah. it is of hers you know it's it's just a adjective to describe a, a way of cooking and a and a way of being that exactly is, that has its merits and why can't they be celebrated and and another aspect i found really interesting was margot henderson um mm. you know talking about how she and fergus henderson changed their kitchen culture by yeah. putting radio 4 on Yes. Um, yes. I love that, you know, because it's calm. And, you know, all that precision you were talking about is detail. I love watching chefs at work, you know, but, but to have something very soothing on and something interesting on in the background rather than that Marco Pierre White, you know, Gordon mm. Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen, kind of old school idea. There's lots of things that, that men and women or men who are very feminized by their relationships with women, perhaps, um, mm. have brought to the kitchen. And I, and I love the fact that you talk about that as well. Um, you know, Emily Scott is another one. Um, you know, very famous, very successful woman for 20 years before she was chosen to do the G7 summit. And yeah. I, I interviewed her fairly recently for cooking the books. And she talked about how small she felt. And she used words like humble and why me, you know, in front of yeah. all these world leaders. And, and you discuss that, yeah. don't you? Yeah, how... Well, you know, it's kind of sort of the ego in the room, isn't it? Like th- these chefs are often cooking without ego. They're often cooking um, in a way to celebrate not just themselves, but their entire team. And Emily Scott is very much that. But at the same time as having this kind of quiet confidence, you know, she she says, you know, if my entire team were taken away from me, I could do it again. Like... I could start this again. I have it all within me. You know, I contain these multitudes, but I'm also, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. I'm also the champion of my team. Well, exactly. And we saw what she did when she took over a very traditional pub in a very ballsy yeah. way when she took over the St. Yeah. Inn. Um, you know, she took it over with three children, a dog and a, and a recent know, divorce and, you know, turned that around. So <laughs> she's a wonderful woman to interview because she just builds in, she sort of starts off small and then gets big, like gets bigger and bigger and bigger, metaphorically speaking, you know, she's kind of, you can hear her almost yeah. reflecting on what she's achieved and what she's done. And by the end of the interview, she's just like, yeah. God, yeah. women are great. And she didn't say like, I'm great, really. She was always, she was just like, <laughs> women are great. Like, we're so great. <laughs> 
I know. And you do get a sense of, of that as you read story after story. Each each chef has their own story and you've mm. interviewed them. And that's where all the nuance comes from, because each one has a different story. And a number of them obviously uh, talk about the children. I say obviously in mindful of the fact that men might not if you were mm. to interview them, but women absolutely will. Um, Margot Henderson talked about how she has only recently with um, Rochelle got to the point where she really feels that she's doing something because she was looking after the children for the yeah. for the large part of, of their career. You know, Easter Belfrage talks about how she works in the Ottolenghi test kitchen because it's the only way that you can work in hospitality on a Monday to Friday, nine to five mm. basis. Well, she hasn't got children yet if she wants to, but I know that Tara Wigley, who works with her in the test kitchen, has. Yeah. You know, Emily, having said that, has got three children and she's kind of done it. Um, Chantal Nicholson says there's a reason why so many female chefs don't have children. You just can't take a year Mm. out. Was there a line that you could take uh, about the issue of having children? I think that is changing, but you can almost hear the grinding of the wheels, really. I think it is going to be such a slow process. Um, You know, Knox Majosi, she does have a child. But the women who do have children, Emily Scott has a full-time nanny. Right. Um, or have very supportive husbands yeah. who are happy to ke- take the back seat. And, you know, Thomasina Myers, she has children, but she has childcare. You know, there's there aren't many kitchens in which you can be the head chef. I think there are many kitchens of all the women I've interviewed, I would say almost every one of them, if not all of them, are offering a kitchen which their employees can have children but whether they could feasibly take a year out and have a child have children themselves yeah it's not easy and there are a number of women who big chefs who have said quite publicly that the one thing that they missed out on because of their chefing career Mm. was the ability to have children the other notions of femininity i found really interesting um was sky gingell Talks about the beauty of vegetables grown on an organic all-female farm near Abergavenny, where she gets all her vegetables grown for her restaurant. Mm. So, you know, if there's that kind of element, I mean, how much did you go into that? I mean, obviously you have limited space when you're doing these interviews, but how? what a wonderful notion. This is something else that I found so powerful during the course of researching and writing. This idea that behind these women stand more women whether they're the producers, whether they're their mothers, their grandmothers, their aunts, there's this sense that they are all standing on the shoulders of giantesses. Um, So that, you know, that's a brilliant example of, you know, female produce, you know, having female producers. Um, Thomasina Myers talked about um, the Balimo cookery school run by women. She talked about women in the the women in Mexico who ran a bar in the middle of nowhere. A lot of them cite great women who, who have supported them or who continue to support them. They refer to each other, you know, the interconnectedness of that community. I found it so empowering. It's extraordinary, really. The the last thing I wanted to, to raise before we go into your food moments was Zoe Ajonia talking about queerness and creativity. Again, something I mm. hadn't seen. Uh, I've talked to Zoe many, many times about the whole issue of diversity and enabling uh, particularly West African women mm. to talk about where they come from and what they eat and uh, uh, and everything that's, that's, that's about. 
But I haven't seen queerness and creativity in the kitchen. No. Which is huge, no. of course. The way that came about was I said, um, you know, Zoe and I were reaching the end of the interview and I just said, oh, you know, this is quite embarrassing, but I want to be honest about it. I said, oh, is there anything, you know, is there anything you feel like I haven't mentioned? And she said, well, no one ever asks me how being queer affects my cooking. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I was yeah. sort of pulled up short. I was, you know, I said, well, how does it? <laughs> you know, I'm genuinely interested to know. Yeah. She talked about how kind of the character with which she brought to the kitchen, the way in which she, it translated into her approach towards her, to her guests, um, just the way she cooked, basically. Yeah, um, it's the smashing the, of boundaries, isn't it? It's the kind of the thinking left field. It's it's yes. the the not necessarily taking the the traditional route and 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 saying I can. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, she doesn't feel rule bound in any way. You know, and that's yeah, that's yeah. as much to do with her. You know, mixed heritage, being Ghanaian, Irish, grew up in Britain, as it is to do with. Um, her being queer and you know again yeah. you know peter gordon's like the sort of you know phantom woman in this book but <laughs> he's the fairy godfather isn't so he so much <laughs> he is fairy godfather i love him um but you know he, you, the same could be said yeah. of him it's absolutely unbounded cooking, absolutely I've, you know? I've talked to peter about that very thing and he 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 mm. again said that people don't talk about that um in mm. interestingly zoe also says that nobody ever talks about her irish mum um interesting yeah, in itself yeah. let's talk a little bit about men enablers in your first food moment um not josie comes out of the pie room um callum franklin uh, one of those male enablers why did you choose not because this is partly to do with the fact that it was the first face-to-face interview i'd done um since the third and the worst lockdown um and partly because Knox is an absolute force of nature. She's just the most infectiously passionate woman you will ever meet and just shines. She absolutely shines. And I just walked into home and dining rooms and she took me round, took me to the pie room, which in itself is awe-inspiring. It's like a cathedral to pies. <laughs> um, and then there were just so many moments during the course of that interview that were right properly spine tingling um one was when she was talking about her pride in you know they eat a lot of pies in south africa which i didn't know mm. um and they eat a lot of pies because of imperialism because of british colonialism and so mm. you know she sort of takes a sort of seat you know a, a, a quiet glee in being the person who now teaches pie making to the british um yeah. with her pie courses and um, I, I was reminded of this quote in um, Satnam Sangara's book. He says, we are here because you were there. Mm. And she, she was just electrified by this, by this quote. And, you know, it was, uh, there was, and then there was another moment by, where she, um, I asked her who she felt she represented in the kitchen, whether she represented, you know, her mother, whether she felt she represented... You know, her father was a great cook, um, her community, her heritage. Um, and she said, no, I represent me. I represent Knox. And that's actually the final line of the book, which is yeah. also lovely as well. It's yeah. a real punch. Um, yeah. And then when she talked about the therapeutic nature of pie making as well, it was just, 
it was so beautiful. It's so hard to just put into words how moved I was by this interview. And then a few weeks later, we went to Hope and Dining Rooms and um, the pies were genuinely, you know, another another recurring motif throughout the book was the fact that whether you call yourself a chef, whether you call yourself a cook, whether you cook in a, you know, military style way, whether you cook in a more Ravinda style, kind of more feminine way, quote unquote, if you can't, if you don't cook with feeling, if you don't cook with love, then it won't, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, it won't work. And that was true of these pies. They were just beautiful, like aesthetically beautiful, but also blooming delicious. Just I know they are the best pies in the world. And I've seen Callum on a stage with Knox at the Abergavenny Food Festival recently. And oh. he absolutely deferred to her all the time. They were talking about, um, you know, the issues of hospitality, about, you know, employing chefs who can't afford to live in London and have to travel, you know, two, mm. two hours round trip just to get to work. And always he was deferring to her. Always he was giving her the floor. He's a real gentle character but I know that he does that with all his mm. staff as well men or women and that's what's really interesting yeah. and you know your second food moment is Andy Oliver who I know does that to her staff as well um yes. she's an enabler yeah. she's a kind of force to be reckoned with as well tell me of all these amazing <laughs> women why you chose Andy um so it was just um she stands out and um, she stands out as much as her food stands out is because she popped onto my screen and she was in a, like in a sundress. This is February 2021. 20, 20, and she was in a sundress and there's sort of like a palm tree behind her. So she's like, oh, just zooming in from Antigua. Um, <laughs> and she really delineated in such a, such a warm and clear way um, this idea of the division between the food of kind of the African diaspora um, and these Eurocentric ideas of value that we have, even subconsciously, you know, when we talk about soul food, we are all too often talking about the cooking of the Caribbean or talking about the cooking of, of Africa. We're not seeing them in the same light. Um, and that's what she's been working so hard to to redefine and 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 to showcase how this this idea that something taking experience of finesse applies as much to um say roti or dumplings or noodles or she cites this old lady who makes four things she made four things from a cassava root She's like, that is as impressive as the most carefully wrought Ile de Fortin or Bernays, you know, it's, it's exists in the same realm and should be judged on the yeah. same level. Um, and, you know, again, that harks back to the gendered nature of um, the gendered interpretations that we have of different foods. You know, inevitably, we associate the kind of haute cuisine with a more masculine approach and finally fill dumplings with a more feminine approach, even though both are equally impressive in their own right. She's not professionally trained either, no, is she? Not. No, no. So she is 
a cook, although she became a chef by having her own yes. restaurant. Um, she has always talked about cooking from the heart, mm. home cooking, cooking the food from her heritage. But it's her punky <laughs> yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah. I mean, she literally was in a punk. She was in Rick, yeah. Rick and Panic. She, she's a, you know, she's a, a woman with force. Mm. And she has changed the way that black women in food are represented on mm. television as well. So there's a lot of breaking through ceilings that she's yeah. done, hasn't hasn't yeah. she? And she's a woman of a certain age as well. I mean, I still find ageism is yeah. the finalism. Yeah. I'm constantly coming mm. up against mm. it. Really interesting. Um, and a lot of women around me are apologising for it, but saying that's what it is. Yeah. I think if you are black and yeah. of a certain age then you've got more chance uh breaking through some of these mm. ceilings but the next is is ism you watch it'll be ageism mm. number three now this is sabrina yes who you talked about before it was a dish that led you to choose sabrina nudie yes. why she was working at bernardi's at the time and um i was still write for the marlebin journal so i was there kind of under that capacity and i Saw this. I saw this plate go past, and I thought, "Oh, it's Noki," and I, I don't like Noki. I find it too invariably find it too stodgy, and I know there will be plenty of people who want to dissuade me, but I do. So I was like, "No, no, no, I don't want that." And then I read it, and I was like, "Oh, it's ricotta, ricotta dumplings." Okay, and I tried it, and I was just blown away. It was like with these blistered cherry tomatoes and kind of clouds of parmesan, and I, I'd never had anything like it in my life, and then Sabrina came out and I sort of like raved to her I was like oh my gosh this is amazing and I was you know so struck then like I said earlier by just how glamorous she looked you know she was just a really striking presence really you know really beautifully made up and kind of really sharp and sassy like a proper woman's woman um but also had just turned out this exceptional um exceptional meal and, you know, she, again, she just has this great, you know, when I got talking to her and, and then went on to include her in this book, um, she was one of the first people I asked to be in it, um, because she really challenged my notions, you know, five or six years ago when I met her, really challenged my notions of what it is to be a female chef, what it is to be a woman in the kitchen. Um, and she also is very holistic in her approach she she's the one who talks about why can't I be both and I can be neither I can be both she studied fashion initially she's like I can be fashionable made up heel wearing lipstick loving and I can also you know turn out a great dish of pasta but also she's you know classically trained as well so she can do you know she can do any kind of French fancy that you like and she can work in a very military way she says you know when she's cooking French cuisine she's absolutely you know within the millimeter within the second um takes that approach so that kind of plurality was really striking well it was interesting and you talk about this you know your internalized false dichotomy that really surprised you it surprised me as well mm. I um, I'm not surprised when I s meet people. I suppose Ravinda is the nearest example to that terribly glamorous and terribly mm. soft-spoken, very, she writes very beautifully and she cooks very beautifully. Um, I love that. I didn't find myself surprised by it and I'm surprised by your surprise. 
<laughs> I think I am no longer... I think a lot has happened in the last five or six years. So, I th- and I was relatively new to the world of food and the world of restaurants then. So, yes, now, as myself now, I am surprised by my surprise. But I know that <laughs> five or six years ago when I first met Sabrina, I was surprised. Just, but also in a really empowering way. It made me really think that, you know... I think I grew up with... That you can have everything. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? it. As a, you know, personally, do you find yourself sort of questioning your own issues of femininity? You know, what does it mean to be a woman in 2021? How how can you operate in the world? What what should you dress like? How, How much makeup should you wear? You know, I know that these are issues. I still play with them I I don't feel Mm. fear about them anymore but I know I certainly did especially in my sort of 20s and 30s when you know your outer shell is the first thing that people judge you on absolutely and I grew up with you know as I said like I grew up with a sort of career you know ambitious glass ceiling smashing mum who you know she always was was always very smart always very well turned out but you know we did have childcare. you know there wasn't a sense that you could have it all you know she I don't know there was there were certain sacrifices that she had to make and I think Sabrina challenged those notions in a way Thomasina Myers is another mother Mm. and she talks about her children a lot she's your fourth food moment Mm. um why Thomasina I've always felt since I knew just how much Oaxaca stands for environmentally um in terms of its, its its real sustainability pioneer and it just doesn't get enough credit um, doesn't get the credit that it should for that um so I was fascinated to speak to her and then again it was one of those things where I should have been massively intimidated because I love her food I'm a huge admirer of hers and yet because of the zoom medium I felt very at ease and and she's That's a really great, yeah she's a really um sort of such an enthusiastic person to speak to she's really you know, for someone who's been in the industry for such a long time, she's not remotely jaded. She's her work has only just begun in in her eyes, really. Um, she's driven, yeah, so driven. And now, you know, having driven her own business to the heady heights of success it has, she's now t- determined to work with chefs and schools, for example. You know, yeah. trying to improve school food. I'm, yes, actually, that's what I meant. You know, she's. I, I realise driven could be seen in a more masculine way as being very sort of driven to be successful, but actually she's driven by her passion mm. to change the way that food is cooked in schools, for example. So her chefs in schools is, is really, really good. But you, I love the way that you went into the workings of Oaxaca. Oaxaca is a really under-recognised mm. success story. Yeah. It's a great restaurant chain, but actually you're absolutely right. Do talk a little bit about the amount of work she does behind the scenes Mm. to make sure that every element of it is sustainable and always has yeah yeah. so she she set up with her um, business partner mark selby and he from the start wanted to expand and she was wary of it she said i don't want to expand unless we can do it as sustainably as possible and they're one of the first restaurants to you know to be carbon to be carbon neutral to have eco walls that in, in, for insulation to recycle the air from their fridges 
um, for heating purposes, to source everything free range, to, you know, source everything as organically as possible. They are real pioneers in this regard. And they're doing it at scale as well. You know, one of the reasons Jamie cited for the closure of his, um, Jamie's Italians, was because he said he couldn't meet the values that he wanted to meet at the scale that Jamie's Italians in reach. Well, Hacker is doing that. They're proving that it is possible to have a chain restaurant and also, you know, keep ascribed to the sustainable environmental people values um, that, you know, that you should. I I wrote a book um, which came out last year called Tasting the TV Chef, which traced the influence of TV chefs on the way we eat, on the creation of British food culture, if you like. And I was going to subtitle it, How We Got to Oaxaca. Yes, because, you know, how on earth did British people who were eating stuff out of packets Mm. get to eat at Oaxaca, which is a middle range restaurant. You go in there and you see people who are not necessarily foodies trying dishes from the menu that they can't even pronounce let alone know what they are and they will and that has an enormous impact on the whole of the british food culture Mm. and and cuisine because people are much more likely to try stuff that's new and exciting and spicy and and has sort of a mashup of different flavors that comes from a place that a lot of them will never have been to that's a huge huge absolutely i mean she she talks about how there wasn't even you know now we can buy chipotle chilies and you know waitrose and a big sainsbury's whereas there wasn't a supply chain for chipotle chilies until she started oaxaca you know we didn't really know what tequila was we other than shotting it in a bar exactly there was no there was just no awareness of mexican cuisine whatsoever and santa remedio and cole even they stand on the shoulders of oaxaca you know it's all these fine mexican restaurants couldn't have opened if oaxaca didn't exist Last question, Claire. I want to talk about sustainability. You know, we're, we're talking just before COP26. Um, it's vital that food takes the lead in changing the way that we consider our choices in the supermarkets. Um, it, was, it was Sky who said that women really get sustainability. Men champion it and make a lot of noise about it, but women really get it. Mm. Um, I, I think that's a bit probably it's too simplistic. But... But it is interesting, isn't it? And all these women that you've chosen are absolutely championing changing the kitchen culture and sustainability is at the heart of it. What do Mm. you think that women in the kitchens can do to change the way that we eat? Funnily enough, I was about to mention in the course of Tommy's answer, Thomasina Myers has introduced an alternative to uh, guacamole. It's a, it's called guacamole, which is obviously the best name ever. I think maybe that's partly what Sky is referring to here, which is just introducing concepts and foods that are more sustainable, that are better for us and better for the planet, and the two go hand in hand without sort of shoving it down people's throats. You know, at Oaxaca, you can still get avocado guac, but the guacamole is free for the time being and is delicious. And and I think it is both this awareness of nuance and also have this holistic approach towards cooking and towards the kitchen that goes beyond the plate. And, you know, again, I refer to Oaxaca, you know, it's not just about the Mexican food and it's not just about being carbon neutral it's about every single step of the process you know sky is the same it's it's from root to plate 
Um, and I think being able to hold all of that in mind when setting up a restaurant and when running a restaurant, that is crucial. And if there's one thing that I've been struck by, it's a bit of a sweeping statement, um, but several of the chefs that I interviewed alluded to it in, in certain ways. Chantel talked about when she was work, working for Marcus, like Marcus didn't know how... Marcus Waring. Marcus Waring, yes. Marcus didn't know how the kind of reservation system worked. Someone else did that. Um, and he might not know kind of about the, like, you know, another facet of the thing, because he was all dedicated towards what goes on the plate. And that was his, well, that was his job. And that, you know, and he was Marcus Waring and that was what he did. Whereas Chantal knows all of it, like, she knows how the reservation system works. She knows how the printing works. She knows what the finances do. She does the whole thing. She does her social media. And same with Emily. You know, and Emily is the same. Emily, you know, she does it, she juggles it all. And it's holding holding that entirety is is key to these women's success. And it is key to sustainability. You've got to look at the whole. You can't look at the individual parts. That is their strength. What did you as a young woman working in the food industry as a food writer learn from these female chefs i don't know if i i don't know if i took away a tangible skill it was more i learned this word recently off um my friend bex Lindsay's podcast about feelings and it's called gender euphoria and it's where you're just so delighted to be the gender that you are the or the gender that you've chosen to be you're so like overwhelmed by the kind of I don't know by the community that you're in that you've chosen and by the strengths that have come with it and that is how I felt in the process of doing this book there was so much about women that I just really was inspired and overawed by and and I have been able to see that you know I've always appreciated my mum and I've always appreciated my grandma and the women who've have raised me and and nurtured me but I appreciate them all the more I think from speaking to all these women yeah it's about sort of I'd say this to my girls as well I've got 23 and 26 year old girls and oh, yeah. so, you know b- smash the glass ceiling by punching the sky and yes, kind of gender euphoria is great, yeah it? yeah just celebrate it celebrate every single aspect of it whether it is strength and grit and determination or whether it is delicacy, finishing touches, and an eye for for beauty and detail, whether it is a nurturing side, you know, whether it is kind of caring about the environment and the future of the planet, whatever it is, celebrate it. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news, including lots on supper clubs. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and I'll see you next week when I'm back with Luca Iacorino, journalist, author, and the organiser of Turin's biggest food festival, Buonissima, on what we can learn from the Italians about how to eat. <laughs> <laughs>